You're listening to Season 7 of Bionic Planet, now brought to you by VERA, the world's most widely followed environmental standard. VERA, Standards for a Sustainable Future. And by Responsible Alpha, a collaborative high-impact ESG consultancy helping investors, businesses, and communities transition to a low-carbon, sustainable, and equitable future by developing transparent, consistent, and replicable tools. Responsible Alpha, being the best at what really matters. Some say, well, we need to avoid uh, double counting and double claiming and avoiding greenwashing, you know. But you always realize that some of those people don't like carbon trading at all. They find always kind of ways to make it super complicated, almost impossible or super, super additional, you know. And uh, I, I believe that if we really go that way, it will be impossible. And you see at the moment that the EU is asking these high standards of host countries, but they are not there yet. Jaska Zajensen has been working the climate puzzle for decades. And he knows a thing or two about people who negotiate in bad faith. A lawyer by training, he helped negotiate the Kyoto Protocol in the 1990s and then spent 20 years helping NGOs like the Environmental Defense Fund craft legal policies with teeth. As a print reporter, I found him invaluable. He helped me understand the private politics behind public policy, and he's a fun guy to hang with. I first had him on the show back in its third year, 2018, when he was leading efforts to create a Green New Deal for the Netherlands a full year before the term caught on in the United States. And I caught up to him last week to get his take on COP27, the November climate talks that took place in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. This was never meant to be a breakthrough year, but rather an implementation year where negotiators work through the little details of big ideas to move things forward for next year's big stock taking. But there were some big stories in the critical and, until now, overlooked field of finance, which is a central focus of Bionic Planet. Barbadian Prime Minister Mia Motley, for example, spent all of 2022 workshopping the Bridgetown Initiative, which aims to dramatically ramp up the climate finance activities of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, while negotiators agreed to create a still-unfunded loss and damage fund. And African leaders unveiled the ACMI, the African Carbon Markets Initiative, to leverage finance flows into their own priorities. Man may be unwittingly changing the world's climate through the waste products of his civilization. There's a group of us now who are proposing that the Earth has actually entered a new epoch, and that is the Anthropocene. We know that the enemy is carbon, and we know it's ugly face. We should put a big fat price on it, and of course, add to that, drop the subsidies. Earth, we broke it, we own it. And nothing is as it was. Not the trees, not the seas, not the forests, farms, or fields. And not the global economy that depends on all of these. But we can restore it, make it better, greener, more resilient, more sustainable. But how? Technology? Geoengineering? Are we doomed to live on a bionic planet, or is nature herself the answer? That's the question we explore in every episode of Bionic Planet, a podcast of the Anthropocene, the new epoch defined by man's impact on Earth. And today we explore that with Jos Kazainsen of Climate Neutral Group. 
We touched on a lot of issues in a relatively short period of time, but I started by asking him about the loss and damage fund and whether it was something new or just a new name for more blah, blah, blah. I don't know, it's a lot of blah, blah, blah. But now the key question is, who's responsible and for what? How can you exactly define what is due to climate change and what is regulating? When you and me were young, there were already a lot of problems in Bangladesh and flooding, so it's, it's not so easy. But I think, Steve, this is the moment to put this fund up there. It's mm. not the year to increase targets, uh, to increase uh, mitigation, ambition. So in this vacuum, maybe the fund was a good place to have there. Yeah, that's important to emphasize that this is not a big stock take year. I mean, people were disappointed, but next year is a big global stock take. Yep, next year, very important. The other disappointment is the issue about fossil uh, phase out. Yeah. yeah, it was a year of low expectations and they delivered. <laughs> yeah, the same disappointment. You remember last year, many people were also disappointed that coal phase out was, was becoming coal phase down. But frankly, do you really think you can ask at the COP to China and India to stop coal? It doesn't make sense. And the agenda of the climate COPs is already so loaded. Uh, it has to be democracy-based. You may have to have some funding from your government, from your parliament. So how mm -hmm. can you think that on a summit, you can suddenly decide something about fossil fuels? That was last year. This year, it was even wider, coal plus the other fossil fuels, gas and oil. But interesting was that it seems that the EU was disappointed. But I uh, heard uh, Mr. Timmermans, the uh, commissioner leading the climate negotiations, the Mr. Timmermans he's referring to there is Dutch politician Frans Timmermans, who's serving as European Commissioner for Climate Action. And while I've got you here, let me take a moment to thank my sponsors, Standard Setting Body Vera and ESG Consultancy Responsible Alpha. They help make the show possible. But I can use your help, too. If you like what you hear and you want more and better episodes, you can also help me deliver them by subscribing at patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash bionic planet, bionic planet, no dots or dashes. There you can support me for as little as a buck an episode and with a monthly cap. The address again is patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. Also, if you're an ethical business looking to reach a global audience, you can advertise on Bionic Planet or become a sponsor as well. You can reach out to me directly at steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can help us just by giving me a five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access me through. That helps, because the more stars I get, the more ears I get. And the more ears I get, the more minds I can reach. And we have to reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. Now back to Jos Kuzainsen, who is discussing the disconnect between what people say and what they mean, and how throwaway lines get amplified while substance can be ignored. On a question from NGOs about what about phase out of gas, he said, well, no, 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 it's too early. We just need, for transition time, green uh, uh, natural gas, but we will phase out coal faster. Uh, in that case, we, we use it more. So he was not even willing to get the phase out on gas. But a few mm -hmm. days later, he said, I'm so disappointed we didn't get it there. So it, it's very symbolic. And I'm not that disappointed because we couldn't have it. Thank you.
a lot of things you touched on there that should probably be reiterated. One is people forget that these year-end climate talks are, they're the, they're the year-end talks. I mean, talks are going on all yep. year, deals are being made. And by the time we get to this phase, it, breakthroughs are really hard to get. And people need to be engaged all year with their own local governments so that by the time these things show up, the people who are showing up have something they can stand behind. Yep, it's very true. Yeah. What role do carbon markets play first in this loss and damage fund, or is that a whole separate issue? And then maybe we can uh, segue into Article 6. Possibly, indeed, um, because you know that the Adaptation Fund is also partly financed by the CDM, right. uh, the carbon market uh, finance. It's also now under Article 6.4, uh, that's the carbon credit mechanism under the Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, that says uh, uh, 5% of the revenues should be into the Adaptation Fund. The Adaptation Fund he's talking about is not to be confused with the newly created Loss and Damage Fund or the Bridgetown Initiative. Rather, it's a mechanism that dates back to the Kyoto Protocol, which was ratified in 1997, although it's now in the Paris Agreement as well, specifically in Article 6, which I've covered quite a lot here. If you're a regular listener, you know that Article 6 has several paragraphs Paragraph 6.2 provides an accounting framework for countries to work among themselves, while Paragraph 6.4 establishes a centralized hub to replace the Kyoto Protocol's Clean Development Mechanism, or CDM. I won't rehash all the details, but the CDM included a transaction fee to finance its own operating costs and to support the Adaptation Fund, which helps developing countries adapt to climate change much as the Loss and Damage Fund is supposed to do as well. But both the Loss and Damage Fund and the Bridgetown Initiative could bring a lot more money to the table than the Adaptation Fund has. The Loss and Damage Fund could also be contentious because it brings up the sticky issue of attributability. The science on this front is a lot clearer than it used to be, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. Now, uncertainty is just part of reality, as we saw in episode 77. We can't eliminate it, but we can account for it and factor it into our decisions, but some people will always exploit its existence by comparing uncertain realities to imagined states of perfection. Uh, mm-hmm. Many say that the private sector should fund that, so also yeah. carbon markets can play a role there, I guess. And that's exactly what needs to be decided next year. Who will, who will fund it? How will it be funded? And you remember, Steve, um, when in two thousand uh, the climate summit in Copenhagen, uh, the uh, industrialized countries promised to pay uh, hundred billion per year for developing countries. It was then already said that it should be mobilized by governments. Uh? So right, partly, right. private sector has to do that, and it, it will happen. It is a fund again, I think. Yeah. Speaking of uh, things that were pushed back to next year, Article six point four was pushed back to next year. Maybe we can unpack this a bit. Article 6 is the part of the Paris Agreement that covers uh, carbon markets. Can you maybe flesh that out a bit for us? Tell us what Article 6 is and why we should care. Yeah, two bits. It's Article 6.2 that talks about the possibility that countries can trade surplus of reductions to another country so that the Mm -hmm. buying country can meet part of its targets with that uh, purchased credits. And Article 6.4 is a new crediting mechanism that helps countries uh, generate carbon credits with domestic projects like the CDM uh, also did under the Kyoto Protocol. So two bits. Mm -hmm. Article 6 was enshrined in the Paris Agreement at the end of 2015. 
And then last year in Glasgow, we created the rule book for implementing it. Yep. But what happened in Egypt and what's left for next year? Yeah, so the chapter uh, agreed upon in uh, Glasgow was very important. It was the last chapter to agree on. It was very important to have that. And the main uh, decision was that countries need to avoid double counting. Yep. That mm -hmm. a reduction or a credit can only be in the registry of one country. That makes sense. So it means mm -hmm. you have to organize double entry bookkeeping. This is another issue we covered a lot, especially in the early days after the Paris Agreement, but I haven't touched on it for a few years. Double-entry bookkeeping is what accountants do when money flows between two parties or two accounts. A debit is registered in one account and a credit in another. It gets a little more confusing in carbon finance because you have two different flows. You have companies in one country helping companies in another country reduce emissions, and that help doesn't impact national carbon inventories. You've got the private sector and the public sector accounts. When a private company in one country helps another private company in another country reduce its emissions, that only impacts the national account when the buying company uses its credit to meet a compliance obligation at home, in which case the host country, or the country in which the entity receiving the funds is located, has to deduct the reduction from its own national inventory, while the country where the buying company is located gets to add the reduction to its inventory. Basically means that if the buying country wants credit for a reduction it causes someplace else, the emission reduction has to transfer from the host country to the buying country, and if the buying country doesn't want credit, it doesn't have to transfer. Experts out there will know it's a little more complicated than that, but the gist is that emission reductions that pass from one country's national greenhouse gas inventory to another country's inventory are called Internationally Transferred Mitigation Outcomes, or ITMOs. You'll hear Yoss use that term ITMOs a lot in the next few minutes. Now, in some cases, these are government-to-government -government transactions, as when the government of Switzerland purchased ITMOs from Peru. But in the future, it's more likely to happen at the corporate level when a company in one country purchases ITMOs from abroad to meet compliance criteria at home. So if a company in Germany uses carbon credits from Brazil to meet regulatory requirements in Germany, and Germany then wants credit for those reductions, it's not just a carbon credit, it's an ITMO. And the Article 6 rulebook requires corresponding adjustments to national inventories when an ITMO is passed in this way. A corresponding adjustment is that double-entry bookkeeping again. It means that the host country must first authorize the transfer and then adjust its own greenhouse gas inventory to reflect the fact that the emission reduction achieved inside its borders is being credited to another country. The buying country then adjusts its greenhouse gas inventory in the opposite direction by the same amount. But carbon credits generated in the voluntary carbon market are not compliance credits, and they don't have to be entered into a national inventory because they aren't created to meet a legal requirement, and they don't impact the national accounting of the buying country. A host country can, if they choose, apply a corresponding adjustment to voluntary credits that leave its border, but this is not required under the Paris Agreement unless the buying company wants to claim credit for compliance purposes at home. Again, don't worry if this doesn't all make sense. I should revisit it again and do a whole show on where we stand now. If you buy to be taken off your registry and into another country's registry, it's a no-brainer. And in this COP, 
the countries need to decide on rules. How do you track and trace emission reductions? How do you transfer them? Uh, what kind of registry? Who's going to pay for that? Um, and then the authorization. Uh, the Article 6.2 says also that governments need to authorize companies uh, to trade part of the reductions uh, generated in countries. Uh, mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you do the authorization? Can you cancel it? What are the reasons for that? What's happening with credits to be traded without authorization? So all of that kind of operational issues were to discuss this year. It's not final yet, but they got a, a good push to that. Thanks. Yeah. What was the glitch? What was the holdup there? The holdup this year. Interesting. It was about the authorization. Um, mm-hmm. We heard that some countries said, well, if you authorize a credit right, to be transferred to another country, uh, some governments said, well, let's also put in the possibility to re- withdraw that, that authorization, to cancel, mm-hmm. to revoke that authorization. And of course, the traders were thinking, yeah, why do that? If I buy something, I can use it. The reason why some of the countries were asking for that is that most countries don't know yet if they will not oversell. Right. No country knows already if they have enough credits to meet its own targets so that he has some surplus reductions to sell. And yeah, how can you prove that? You need to, to establish several things. You need to establish your own path. You need to uh, show the world how far you are apart from your targets and build a certainty and trust that what you are willing to sell, that it's really a surplus. And mm-hmm. as long as countries don't know that, they think, well, we need some kind of condition, conditional approval. approval. But of course, that's not the way to go because then nobody will purchase that if there's a condition. So... It's just too early for countries to, to have big deals now. You can have some conditional deals, but you never know if you really will get that. So it's a problem. And I predict we need several years for countries to be able to prove how, how far they are, how good they already perform. And then you know who are the countries you can buy per, uh, credits from. Yeah. Do we have those years though? Well, we don't have so many years. Um, and that will show that countries that have, for example, cap and trade systems, or have budget systems, uh, that is clearly an operation domestic, which shows the world if you have surplus. If you can't show that, then there's a risk if you buy a credit of a country, because maybe you buy a credit of a country that doesn't meet its target, then you cannot Mm -hmm. use it to meet your target. So countries that are maybe willing to sell, yeah, they need to enable that, or uh, that's that's a little bit my um, proposal, to make some kind of set aside, eh? show to the world that your country may uh, a maximum 1 billion ton of credits for the next five years eh? and mm-hmm. let that uh, prediction be reasonable and validated. So there are uh, pragmatic ways to, uh, to handle, to ensure trading already now, but it can't be a, a blank check. It has to be founded more or less. This um, set aside provision, this is something you've proposed or the... Others yes. have proposed and you've endorsed. Okay, can you can you flesh that out a bit? I you remember maybe in the Wexman Markey bill that it was also the kind of set yeah. aside. That means you have to um, get a picture of potential climate policies a country will apply on renewables, on uh, forest protection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you get a picture. Okay, this country is really going to perform pretty well. It might reduce its emissions with four percent, and then. It takes a while to get there, but you can already set aside maybe 1% every year um, that will be uh, available to sell. And you setting aside means that in your register, you already list some yeah, conditional, you might say, ITMOs, eh? International mm-hmm. Transfer Mitigation Outcomes. Yeah, that's the unit uh, for transfer under the Paris Agreement. 
So you set it aside and you can even let it have validated that everybody's seeing, okay, this makes sense. This is a good setting aside, future credit yeah, to be able to trade. And it should be reasonable. You remember that uh, Japan has always proposed that um, corresponding adjustment, that means, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, double entry bookkeeping. Hey, if you sell a credit, you need to subtract it from your national report. Um, the Japan has always said, you can only do that ex post because only in 2025 or 2030, 2035, you know if you will meet a target ex post. Yeah, that is true, of course, uh, overall, but you need to uh, enable uh, in a pragmatic way that you can only trade uh, within those years before because you need to attract climate finance, you need to guide the finance earlier in your country. So expose doesn't work. So you need to find a way or uh, give your country a budget. Yeah, and that's what the EU is more or less doing. There's ETS budget, uh, more countries have ETS budgets, and that is a way to anticipate, to set aside the maximum budget that also shows you have a surplus budget if you do a better job. So there are ways to prevent this overselling in a reasonable way, I think. Okay. Now, where do we stand on the issue of voluntary carbon credits and corresponding adjustments? I, There's um, confusion. It's the um, easiest approach. If you have a voluntary target, you say, I want to compensate my emissions. I'm reducing, but they have some leftovers. I want to compensate those. It's not an obligation. So in my country, for example, in the Netherlands, it's a Dutch company. It's maybe a postal company that says, I want to go to zero already. It's not an obligation in my country, but I will compensate it anyway. That means I will look for, for example, cookstoves projects in Ghana, Ethiopia, and I would like to finance them in, in a voluntary carbon market way. So we are looking for carbon credit programs like Ferra or Gold Standard. And I purchase those credits, but the reductions can remain in Ghana and Ethiopia because my country, Netherlands, is not, not acknowledging those credits. And in the Netherlands, I still have these emissions I need to reduce. So it's okay to leave those reductions in the country. And it's a beautiful voluntary carbon market. It is already happening now. I can cross over the finance and the host countries helped. It gets finance for a greening and reduction of emissions. So you don't need corresponding adjustment at that time because I don't want them. I don't want those uh, credits right. in my home. The Netherlands doesn't want them. So it's fine to leave them there. And the beauty of the frontier carbon market is, and as I showed you, we're not there yet to have this Article 6.2 transfers. Countries don't know enough yet. Please mm -hmm. keep on using the frontier carbon market. Uh, you can use it. Uh, it's real. It's investments in, in local uh, projects and no corresponding adjustment uh, yet. Yeah. And so the main thing is make sure we don't do corresponding adjustments now. Yeah. Because exactly. then... Exactly. And, and that's, I think that's the focus, Steve, of why I'm, I am following these negotiations. Be sure that it is not being blocked, you know? Yeah. Because it looks at some say, well, we need to uh, avoid uh, double counting and double claiming and avoiding greenwashing, you know? But you always realize that some of those people don't like carbon trading at all. Right. They find always kind of ways to make it super complicated, almost impossible or super, super additional, you know? And I believe that if we really go that way, then it will be impossible. And um, you see at the moment that the EU is asking these high standards of host countries, but they are not there yet. They cannot subtract a single project from a national report, for example. Huh? So they mm -hmm. can't meet those corresponding adjustment uh, requirements. And that means that the country is not able to sell. And that is true, not all for the mandatory market, but why forbid them to sell to the voluntary carbon market? Because they need to finance and it's fine to keep those credits there. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because I felt that 
for years. A lot of these groups that talk about integrity. I mean, there's, there are legitimate issues, yeah, of course. Sure. Like, but, but a lot of people talk about integrity and they really just don't want to make something impossible to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah I, I sometimes say, well, uh, this, this word additionality, right? Uh, you really mm -hmm. need to have an additional uh, investment in a project and you really need credits. Otherwise, you can't get the credits. That means you need to have a very stupid project, you know. It doesn't make any good business sense, not at all. But only because those credits uh, occur, then it can be realized for project. I'm more the guy that says credit against baseline, that's enough, you know. And if we keep on stapling a lot of uh, conditions, then we, yeah, we will not get there. And an example is, for example, that uh, some countries, maybe for good reasons, for example, Switzerland, to get a gold standard, they say an ITMO should be additional. Yeah? Uh, and they want to prove that by financing a certain project that is in itself already additional. Right? Um, we must realize that on the voluntary carbon market, uh, and the CDM did the same, uh, a project needs to prove additionality compared to the baseline of the project, and that's fine. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, it shouldn't be too easy. Uh, you need to have the uh, baseline verified, then you show additionality. But the IPMO transfers, that means it's a surplus of a country wherever it comes from, you know? Because you can imagine that you have a very good, great project, high, high quality, really additional from Peru, but maybe Peru is not meeting its targets, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, then it's not an ITMO. It can't be an ITMO. It can't be a surplus to its reductions. Because otherwise you're purchasing a credit from Peru and Switzerland meets its target and Peru is not meeting its target. Now, that's the thing we would like to avoid. That is clearly overselling. So linking a certain project to IPMO transfer is a, is a no-go, I think. And that, I think that happened uh, this year. There's an intriguing wish to have real finance on, uh, on the ground, real projects, but with the certainty that those project reductions can be used for compliance by another country or an airline, et cetera, et cetera. But that cannot happen. And then I think, please use the voluntary carbon market in between. You can prove the reductions. Uh, but used for voluntary offsetting. If you listen to the reasons countries give to create problems towards a voluntary carbon market, they say, well, um, you make it too easy for host countries. You make it just too easy. We want them to uh, implement policies. We do want them to increase their ambition. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to give an easy way to meet their target. Uh, can you imagine that? There's so much finance developing countries need. It's just not fair. Um, and... Frankly, developing countries are not stupid. They can be smart. They even can say, well, I can sell the credits for a high price so that I can have leftover money to reduce my own emissions. And uh, so that's one example. Another example is that some of the European countries say, well, I don't want my company um, to have an easy way out in buying uh, offsets to meet its targets. I want them to reduce its own emissions. Huh? Well, then mm -hmm. I say you should regulate it. You know, that's, I think, the general issue which you hear uh, more and more, even the net zero guidance presented by the high-level expert group for uh, Secretary General uh, Guterres. He's talking here about UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who gave a speech on the launch of a report called Integrity Matters. Now, that report provides guidance on how to regulate corporate climate neutrality claims. If you read the report, it's a pretty level-headed analysis, very consistent with what anyone who's been paying attention to carbon finance has been saying for years. Companies must have time-bound targets for internal reductions and phasing out fossil fuels, as well as full transparency on their progress, and they must use voluntary carbon credits to reduce their residual emissions. That's what the report said. 
but Guterres' speech was kind of an odd diatribe against carbon markets and seemed more in line with the views of groups like Greenpeace, which oppose carbon markets for reasons that I believe are more ideological than logical, as I pointed out in episode 76. I found the disconnect disconcerting, and Yoss did too. Gutierrez talked with uh, Jennifer Morgan in, yeah, uh, in Glasgow. She worked at that time for Greenpeace International and said, we want to stop offsetting, right? mm-hmm. as if that was the target. Um, so yeah, there's such a preoccupation by uh, yeah, killing the offset market uh, yeah, that it doesn't see what it's doing really. And if you then looked at the report of that uh, high-level expert committee, it says, well, a company should not uh, resist against climate policy. That's fair enough. Uh, the com- company should also have an absolute target. That also makes sense. You cannot keep on um, uh, offsetting. You need to reduce your overall emissions. And third, it said you need to use high-level uh, carbon credits. Makes also sense. So um, it sounds great. Has stop greenwashing, but in the end, what he what he advises is uh, use a robust carbon market, and that's what the voluntary carbon market more and more is. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah, there was that weird disconnect between what he said and what was in the report. The report yeah. basically said what everyone agrees to, and he made kind of a radical statement. Yeah. No, um, she. He said, somebody approached me and asked me this, and then it must be Jennifer Morgan, because she led uh, Greenpeace International at that point and saying, uh, we should stop offsetting. We should stop uh, zero emission targets uh, by corporates as greenwashing. Mm -hmm. So the loudest voice. Yeah, on one of the national radio stations, they had the president of Malawi on, and he was talking about the need for carbon finance, and they went from him to somebody who was opposed to carbon markets. And the interviewer and the interviewee both started speculating on how the president of Malawi must certainly hate carbon markets. But two days earlier, he had been in Sharm el-Sheikh promoting this new initiative, the African Carbon Markets Initiative, which I think you were also following, correct? Yep. I thought that's uh, that's really intriguing a lot. It's indeed called the African Carbon Markets Initiative. Mm-hmm. It was pronounced by presidents of some African nations in Shamash yeah. The great thing is these countries want to make their own strategy how to use the carbon market, huh? mm-hmm. how to use the voluntary carbon market, and how to use the mandatory market. They really think they, it can bring 300 megatons of CO2 reductions, they say. It can create 30 million jobs. It can create 120 billion revenues in 2030 with a price around 20 euro a dollar and, mm-hmm. and 2050 maybe 80 dollars. So it's very uh, pragmatic, very operational. They want to organize themselves, use the carbon market. And yeah, of course, uh, they see there's a voluntary carbon market when the reduction stays home. And it will be a mandatory market with, with high uh, yeah, requirements uh, so that other countries can use them for compliance. But they mm-hmm. know that. And you saw more uh, initiatives at Shamal Sheikh around carbon markets. Although the, the decisions may be weak, uh, there have been many of these kind of announcements and partnerships announced. Yeah, the president of Kenya, the president of Malawi, Liberia, and they were imposing their own rules too, which is good to see because exactly. that happened. And that's what gets... I always, always like. It's not like carbon cowboys flying over the world and looking for poor mm-hmm. people and sell credits uh, from whatever. No, it's really uh, uh, powerful uh, countries uh, developing their own strategy. Okay, there is this carbon market. How can I use it? What kind of sectors would I like to see finance in? Uh, how can I also... Uh, stimulate my own countries to play a role there. And it's mm-hmm. a very wise way, uh, very wise approach. Yeah, yeah. There was another initiative that's been around for a, a couple of years, the Article 6 Implementation Partnership. It had been kicking around for a while. 
And then it seemed like a lot of people lined up behind it this year. Uh, a little bit. It was started by Japan. Um, mm. They've organized some online conferences. It was, of course, Corona time. A lot of things were uh, were online. Yeah. Of course, Japan had always this their own bilateral uh, partnerships with countries. Mm-hmm. And where we always have asked, yeah, but is it really avoiding double counting? It's a bit unclear. And they said, no, we're not trading. We just uh, finance and we include it in our target. So it was about wishy-washy how it looks like. Uh, now they want to follow Article 6, which is good. And uh, mm-hmm. they have an amazing amount of countries already subscribing to the bilateral deals. And uh, so they started this Article 6 implementation partnerships. Um, many countries joined, Germany, India, New Zealand, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, US, Italy, uh, some, some uh, company organizations. And they say a total of 40 nations joined. So it's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's good that it means they're interested, but I have also some doubts by these partnerships because um, you need to uh, develop the rules in the Climate Change Convention, you know? Uh, if it's a partnership, uh, are they then alike? Do they do the same? And I think if, if each country should develop its own, uh, its own strategy, its own uh, needs for investments. Um, but anyway, you see several countries uh, preparing deals, uh, Switzerland, South Korea, Japan and Canada, Sweden, Norway, Singapore. Um, so a lot of countries are preparing CO2 deals and that's good. And if they partner, it's not that important, but it's, it shows that yeah. they, are, they take it seriously. But those countries have all been taking it seriously for a while too. Yeah, so you ask yourself, what's the difference? Mm. Um, yeah, the interesting is that we've always said that Article 6.2 doesn't need so much guidance, you know? Mm-hmm. You only need to show that you avoid double counting. So you just need to show double entry bookkeeping. Yeah? I have a surplus of emissions reductions in my country. I can prove it's surplus so you can sell it. You don't need much more, you know? Um, mm. So you could already do it without any guidance. Um, but yeah, countries like the EU and New Zealand are pushing. They want some more guidance. It should be sustainable. It should be additional. But then you pile up a lot of rules on top of this. Why countries like Japan and the US and Canada, and more or less as well, think we don't need so much rules. Uh, you can already start. So therefore, I sometimes doubt the partnerships. Yeah, you maybe you don't need it that much. And yeah, you, you bundle it with too much uh, complexities. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's been the... <laughs> It's the recurring theme in this conversation, and it's been the recurring theme in these talks since, since I've been covering them, and you've been in it a lot longer than I have. I think this is going to be the unending debate. It's, we'll never resolve it, but I think we'll find areas of agreement and, and, uh, and be able to move forward. It's, uh, it, it's true, because Article 6.4, crediting mechanism, uh, mm-hmm. then we, the North, we say we need a lot of rules, what's additional, and securities, yeah. no conflict of interest. And then the South says, no, it's a project in my country. Uh, it's up to me <laughs> what additional right. is. So you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a bi- balanced, uh, confusion balanced uh, mix, mixes. Okay. I think that's, that gets me through, you know, what I wanted to talk about today. Is there anything else since, I mean, we're trying just to keep this, I mean, we'll, we'll have plenty of conversations in the, in the future, you and I. But, uh, and I think I, I want to do a whole show on the ACMI, the African Carbon Markets Initiative. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to say right now while we're while we're sitting here looking back on what happened in Sharm El Sheikh? Yeah, maybe two things. Um, mm-hmm. One thing is that in the cover decision, mentioning is there of forestry and asking countries and companies to really invest in nature-based solutions, which is mm-hmm. very important as a way to help mitigate emissions, but also to uh, uh, protect nature and to uh, increase resilience. So 
as, as a big part of where investments are asked for. And of course, at the moment, uh, the COP is starting in Montreal about nature, uh, the biodiversity convention. So that's, that's important. And the, and the second is um, the people are asking for comments and uh, recommendations around carbon removals. Uh? It's mm -hmm. also the new kit in town. Um, you need to reduce your own emissions. So maybe in the future, we all have zero emissions, but we need to get CO2 from the atmosphere, uh, carbon removals. Right. And that might be one uh, example of a project type under 6.4. Um, you also see that the European Commission announced a carbon removal certificate system and how to do the methodology and, and the programs. So it gets a lot, lot of more and more attention. And indeed, in Jamal Sheikh, there was some reluctance to accept avoidance of emission. Eh? It's very politically, because avoiding means you can reduce, so you do it. Eh? Um, mm. I always say that a ton is a ton. And as long as there's still emissions out there that can be avoided or removed or prevented, a ton is a ton. But uh, in the end, indeed, in 2050, we will only have removals. So it's better to start now. And you see the demand is high. Uh, you have, of course, the nature-based removals in forestry and mangrove restoration. And you have the technical uh, removals, like direct air capture, which is very expensive. Mm. Demand is high, uh, supply is low. We need them in the future. So it's good that even at Charmel Shaikh, there's some push to get this uh, yeah, realized. That's Jos Kuzainsen closing out this episode of Bionic Planet, made possible with support from standard setting body Vera, creating standards for a sustainable future, and Responsible Alpha, a collaborative, high impact ESG consultancy helping investors, businesses, and communities transition to a low-carbon, sustainable, and equitable future. Vera and Responsible Alpha help make the show possible, but I can use your help, too. If you like what you hear and you want more and better episodes, you can also help me deliver them by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash bionicplanet, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash bionicplanet. Bionic Planet there is all one word, no dots, dashes, or hyphens. There you can support me for as little as a buck an episode, but with a monthly cap. The address again is patreon.com forward slash bionic planet. Also, if you're an ethical business looking to reach a global audience, you can advertise on Bionic Planet. You can reach out to me on that directly, steve at bionic-planet.com. That's steve at bionic-planet.com. Finally, you can help us just by giving us a five-star review on whichever podcatcher you access us through. That helps because the more stars I get, the more ears we get. The more ears we get, the more minds we can reach. And we must reach hundreds of millions of minds if we're to meet the climate challenge. We can do it if we all work together. That wraps up today's show. Until next time, I'm Steve Zwick in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.